The goal is to create a holistic experience where prospects view marketing executions in advance of touring a community. And once the prospect eventually does tour that particular community in person, that visual tieback to the marketing materials is so strong, it can't be overlooked. Hello, and welcome to Sink or Swim, a weekly podcast brought to you by RentSync, where we take a deep dive into the prop tech, multifamily, and rental housing industry. In each episode, we uncover the technologies and strategies used to help overcome operational challenges and increase the value of your multifamily investments. So let's get into our conversation today. Welcome back to Sink or Swim. I'm your host, Nicolina Savelli, and on this podcast, I chat with rental housing industry experts to learn how you can reach more renters, sign more leases, and maximize the value of your assets. And today, I am once again excited to welcome back Ryan Funt to the show, who, as some of you already know, is the Director of Marketing at Fitzrovia. And if you want to know more about Ryan and Fitzrovia, then by all means, go check out the episode we did. I believe it's episode 33 to learn more about that. But Ryan, thank you again for joining me on the show. Well, thanks so much for having me again. I appreciate yes, it. And early in the morning when both of our minds are, you know, still figuring things out. So um, last time we <laughs> spoke at length about the Waverly lease up that you were in the midst of, and I know you were working on a lot of incredible things and you've shared it with our team and you've shared it on LinkedIn. And I want to touch on all of this. So could you just share a little bit about the results you saw from the Waverly lease up so we can kind of kick this conversation off and some of the biggest wins that you experienced through that lease up? Yeah, no, for sure. I'd be happy to. It's a great question. You know, firstly, it was a privilege to be a part of such a monumental project that is so rich in history. In terms of results, the Waverly was fully leased up in five months, yeah. which exceeded our underwritten what expectations. What were your expectations, if you don't mind me interrupting? Well, we certainly had a longer absorption mm-hmm. schedule, Yep. right? And we were able to beat that absorption okay. schedule. And when you think about that, when you actually backdrop that with a COVID-19 pandemic that rocked the rental housing industry, specifically the downtown Toronto core where the Waverly is located you can really appreciate the quality of execution from the entire Fitzrovia team. And so beyond this, the project was widely recognized by our industry. And as a collective, we could not be more grateful for that recognition. And at the 2021 Build Awards, we were nominated for Best Suite Design, Best Website, Best Organic Social Media Campaign, Best Advertising Campaign, and Best Overall Marketing Campaign ultimately taking the title for best organic social media campaign. And, you know, just to elaborate even further, at the 2021 FERPO Awards, the Waverly received acknowledgement mm-hmm. as well, eventually taking home the award for rental development of the year for a community of 200 units or less, best advertising campaign, best amenities, <laughs> and best organic social yeah, media campaign. I feel like campaign. it was a Titanic of a kind of a, a win there and, and like nominations. I was like... <laughs> We've got Ryan's got the Titanic of the uh, development awards here. So, yeah, and marketing awards for multifamily. We have a great team at Fitzrovia, and it was execution on all yeah. fronts, right? And really, beyond the results of the initial Lisa, it's clear that the offering at the Waverly continues to resonate. You know, take our resident events as an example. 
spend a lot of time considering the programming of these events. And when you finally do make it to an event, you can't help but say to oneself, wow, I really can't miss the next one. So really, Nicolina, beyond the striking marketing collateral, the materials, the level of on-site hospitality and customer service has really Mm -hmm. resonated, resulting in a great deal of renewals as we enter year number two of our tenancy agreements. Awesome. Yeah. So I was going to say, and I didn't have this in the question, but you would say you're near stabilization at this point and that you're, you know, able to kind of renew and are you increasing rents and actually being able to renew based on rent increases? Like, is that something that you can speak to a little bit? Absolutely. So we are fully stabilized. I was saying to a colleague recently that this is the first time in my career that we've hit 100% leased and 100% occupied. Wow. Right? Typically have a bit of vacancy, a bit of availability, not Mm. in the waiver lease case. So it was an extremely successful project. We have started to issue our annual increases and they have been extremely well received by our tenant base there at the Waverly. You can tell the value is there and it's worth every penny. And I mean, just the visuals alone make me feel that way. I've never actually been inside the Waverly yet, but I would love to eventually get there or even one of the newer developments that you guys have been working on, um, like the Parker. But so let's move on to the second question, because I think we can talk about this more, but I think this will kind of highlight some of the things that you're working on right now and talk about the kind of the best marketing planning tactics for a new lease up in 2022. Has anything changed for you this year in terms of the tactics that you're implementing? Also a really good question. And it may sound obvious, but I believe it's critical to have a detailed yet distinct plan for each lease up. Mm -hmm. And I say distinct because no two lease ups are identical. They come with a different set of challenges, different budgets, different target renter profiles, different staffing plans, different suite mixes that may include affordable rental replacement and so on. Essentially, the marketing roadmap needs to be created even before you put a shovel in the ground. And this is a fundamental point because I've noted through experience that the marketing component often doesn't get considered until six to eight months prior to occupancy. Right. And we experience that as well at Ren Sank. Our clients are, you know, <laughs> sometimes it's even four to three months. So yeah, it, that's definitely a, something to note. And I think that something that the industry almost needs to really strive for. Absolutely. And really, it's far too late. And it doesn't leave your team enough time for quality execution. You know, the marketing factor drives your leads. It is critical to supporting your top line revenue. So it's vital to start early and ensure that your marketing materials are standing out in a crowded marketplace. In terms of tactics, Mm -hmm. really, it's back to the basics. This roadmap is something that you can reference throughout your lease up to keep you on track, right? So who are you targeting? Mm -hmm. What's your brand positioning? Mm -hmm. Who is on your market survey and why? Does the strategy support your thesis that you can achieve a 10% premium on face rents when you contrast your product to market incumbents? Mm -hmm. And then this one's important. How does your roadmap help you earn loyalty from your prospects? 
And I say this one, and I know that you can resonate, Nicolina, but most prospects are browsing many ILSs and reaching out to six or more competitors in the same web session. Yep. So yes, we know that. <laughs> right? So really yeah. the question becomes, how do you overcome this to become the only option mm-hmm. versus one of six? Absolutely. Yeah. That's how you really have to, your frame of mind going into your marketing and your lease up, you know, any strategy is how do you become the one amongst, amongst, and I, I mean, that's for anyone, but I think that as marketers, sometimes, I mean, I don't, I'm a B2B marketer, but we also have to think that way as well. And sometimes we forget and we're just caught up in the, the day-to-day marketing strategy and, and we don't see the bigger picture and time is needed for that bigger picture thinking. And exactly. that's why having that that lead time is so necessary as well. So yes, ag- no, agreed. It's, it's <laughs> critical, absolutely. And so really just final point on this, all of these questions that we just talked about, they can be systematically answered with some solid planning and a clear roadmap. To your point, more time is never a bad thing for these things. No, absolutely. The more time you can try and make for it is going to end up being you will see a contrast in success. And that goes with any marketing campaign and allotting that time for creativity and brainstorming and all of that and getting all your ducks in a row and realizing the channels that you want to use. Those are, you know, paramount to your success. So now we will kind of get back to this, but I did want to talk a little bit about because the Waverly, obviously the attention to detail all of those things, all of your buildings, the attention to detail is absolutely paramount to your brand and your vision. So first, how do you ensure our brand's identity is integrated into building design and architecture? And why is that so important to you? So for us at Fitzrovia, the marketing piece is not a bolt-on component. Right. It carries the same weight as the building's architecture and interior design. And so really, the purpose-built rentals of the future will deeply consider how the community's brand identity comes to life within common spaces, amenities, and even the community's landscape architecture. Right. Right. There are so many opportunities to integrate the brand factor into finishes, into wayfinding signage, into furniture, and so much more. And really... The goal is to create a holistic experience where prospects view marketing executions in advance of touring a community. And once the prospect eventually does tour that particular community in person, that visual tieback to the marketing materials is so strong, it can't be overlooked. And it works the opposite way as well. That is, if your prospect is a walk-in, and then reviews marketing materials post-tour, it creates the same net effect. Of course. That there is creating brand cohesion, which is really important. Mm -hmm. Yes, I think all of our designers would definitely agree with that. That's their motto. They tout all the time, cohesion, consistency is the key to any brand strategy. And would you say that as a company, you target certain buildings because they do fit the Fitzrovia brand? Like, is that something that you think about or like a location because you know you can 
envision what it could look like and how it relates back to you as a company? Yeah, 100%, right? I mean, it's all contextual. We just, you know, finalized a deal at 260 King Street East. Mm -hmm. And it's an incredible site with incredible history. There are a number of heritage buildings on site that will be preserved. Old brick and beam office space, which is highly in demand and desirable Mm -hmm. in the city. And so it starts from there, really, right? Like how can a site, its history, its existing architecture, inspire the development, the planning, the architecture, the interior design, and finally, the marketing piece, right? It all ties together. And so, you know, me as a marketer, I work closely with the other departments to make sure that everything is working in harmony. There's that synergy across every single vertical. And really, that creates better, more vibrant communities for our prospects. Absolutely. And it just, it lasts just the test of time in general, right? Yep. Yeah. When your focus is on that like rich history and really bringing that to life, it becomes ingrained in, in, you know, it's just another fixture in the community. You can't ignore that, that piece and then revitalizing places that were once fixtures of the community that maybe needed, you know, a second chance. And now it's like, they've got a new generation to explore this building that you've created and marketed so well with such that unique history that people don't They don't want to let go of. Um, They want to remember it. And I think everyone feels that way just a little bit that they, you know, we don't want to let go of our history, especially the positive of the history that we can bring back to life. And and if it can be done in a positive way and do it for good and rental supply is for good at this point, that, you know, this is this is going to be a positive thing. And, and you can see it so well in how you market. And I will say that I'm sure you're in for another Titanic of of nominations soon. So moving on kind of in that respect to class A rental development, can you talk a little bit about the future of amenities and what amenities you're most excited about? Well, what an exciting question, really. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good one. Thanks, Ryan. I think that was your your suggestion. <laughs> well, it was my suggestion, and I did want to talk about it because I think, you know, we've reached a critical juncture where it's now an expectation amongst renters that you have to have a fitness center mm-hmm. or a party room and smart parcel lockers, right? Mm-hmm. These amenities don't have the same pull as they did even five years ago. And so diving deep into your renter profile is important, including the conducting of consumer focus groups, and then challenging your conclusions by asking whether those amenities will still be relevant in 20 years, right? So Mm -hmm. if your new class A development is truly about hotel style living, then maybe you should consider a eucalyptus steam room, a pool, a hot tub. The era of shying away from these particular amenities based on high operating costs may no longer be a winning strategy, given the increasing expectations from renters, especially as competition increases. Can you talk about that a little bit? About Because I remember a time where, you know, pools, saunas, those, you know, really extra extras were necessary. And then 
developers kind of moved away from providing those kind of, you know, extra pieces. And obviously it had to do with operating costs and maybe. So how have you been able to make a use case for those extras that you can say, yes, it's worth the operating cost because it's going to make a resident stay. It's going to be able to raise our rates. You know, all of those things. How did you prove that out? Have you been able to prove that out in a way that actually can you can speak to that a little bit? Because I'm sure that there are developers out there or, or other luxury that may be like, mm, I don't know if we should add that, you know, that pet spa because we don't know necessarily. I mean, they're doing feasibility reports and all of those things. So have you been able to kind of garner like where or geographically those amenities resonate more? Such a good follow-up point. And there was a couple of questions in there. There were, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, it's, that's wonderful. I really appreciate the discourse uh, and going off script. It's perfect. What I would say, Nicolina, is that there is a premium to live in a professionally managed rental community in contrast to a condominium development. And I believe the amenity program and programming in general can help justify these rent premiums, can justify that incremental rent to your point. And, and we did a study just quickly. We actually did a study that proved that is true, that renters are willing to pay. But this is why I kind of led with region and geography, that it did rely on urban markets when it came down to some of the premiums required for some of those amenities, especially around pets. That was one of the ones that was like, urban markets, people want to live with their pets. They need that in their rental unit. It's not an option. It's like not optional for them. And they're willing to pay whatever it is to get their pets with them. That was like the number one across the board, no matter what age group you were in. Of course, there was differentiation with other amenities, but that was the one that kind of stood out. I think you hit the nail on the rock again, right? You have to do your research, right? This is not something that can be, you know, determined overnight no. or over a short period of time. You need to do your research. You need to do those consumer focus groups. Mm -hmm. You need to determine whether those amenities will resonate with your target renter group in that particular, you know, location yes. and geography to your point. So there's lots to consider. There's certainly lots to consider before you make the final decision. But I think there are so many interesting ideas out there that a developer may want to consider, right? Okay. And depending on the research that you do, maybe it's a karaoke lounge. Maybe it's a therapeutic water circuit consisting of multiple spa pools, <laughs> such as a Dead Sea saltwater pool or a cold plunge pool or an Epsom salt pool and so on. Right. We're seeing co-working spaces now with stock kitchens and business class printers fully equipped with office supplies. We are starting to see pop-up amenities, including gift wrapping stations that pop up during the holiday season. Right. Daycare facilities that go beyond the standard kids' room amenity. Mm -hmm. Really, there's so much you can do to enhance your offering and encourage resident retention, right? Right. Yeah. And yes, some of these ideas seem daunting and perhaps even costly to your previous point. However, if this is going to be a long-term hold, you need to future-proof your community. Yeah, 
Absolutely. When you think about that experience, you know, it just makes sense. Why would I go anywhere else if I have this? I know I'm going to childcare. Oh my gosh. If that was an option within a rental community and like being that, I mean, I don't know what you guys are cooking up over there, but (laughs) if that's an option, I just, you know, the cost of that, the convenience of that, all of those things, you put it in my rent, like take all my money. Cause that's, yeah, that's, I've said this before when I've talked to you, I'll move out of my house. I'll rent one of the, one of your units so that I can get all the great amenities that you guys cook up over there. So now, did you have any final kind of comments on amenities, kind of what you're looking forward to? You've kind of said all you want to say about that. All I'll (laughs) say is stay tuned. We have a lot in store for you, specifically on Yorkdale and the Elm and the Ledbury, which is our community two towers at 88 Queen Street East. So don't be surprised (laughs) of some of these incredible ideas that we just chatted about surface at some of these future communities. Okay. Awesome. (laughs) Awesome. Okay. Now, can you talk a little bit about unit mix? If you've noticed any trends lately in your kind of research and what you've been working on? For sure. And we are certainly experiencing a shift in the Toronto marketplace. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Definitely over the last decade, there has been a substantial amount of studio and one bedroom supply within new developments. And really, one of the driving forces here is that you can get more out of a smaller sized unit on a per square foot basis. And as you climb up to larger two and three bedroom units, there are diminishing returns. Essentially, it's challenging to apply the same high studio PSF formula to your twos and threes as your larger size units would become quote unquote overpriced. Or at least this was the case. Right. And so just to circle back here, we've seen a limited supply of three bedrooms come to market in the city of Toronto and the GTA in general. And we know there is a demand for larger units. Now, keep in mind, we have a downsizer population and many within this group are selling their home. But this group still has a desire to retain the spaciousness that they were used to, at least to a certain degree. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And often, Nicolina, a two-bedroom unit just won't cut it for this group. Are you looking to connect with more renters in Quebec and fill units fast? When you syndicate your properties with RentSync, you'll have free access to some of the most popular rental listing sites in the province including Louet.ca and Logique Quebec. Plus, we've upgraded our autoresponder tool so you can instantly translate your emails in French to better engage with all your prospects. If you're currently a RentSync client, your account manager can help you get set up. Or if you're looking for more information, visit rentsync.com forward slash Quebec dash rental dash listings. Now let's get back to the show. And so additionally, we're seeing this trend continue where home ownership is increasingly out of reach for young families mm-hmm. and they require space as well. So we'll bring the Waverly back up for a second here because we have an exceptional three bedroom offering there. And there's one particular unit and it's our most expensive suite in the entire building. And it was one of the first units to lease during pre-lease. Interesting. 
It was the first, yeah, really, one of the first. I think it might have been the first. Wow. Okay. I want to get into that a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's a spectacular suite with a massive terrace and trees on the terrace. It's a really, it's a wonderful unit. But it was back on the market recently and at least within a couple days. Wow. In fact, I think that we have a waiting list for that particular unit and threes in general at the Waverly. So... As we continue to price more buildings, we're noticing that we can get more out of our twos and threes on a PSF basis than ever before. Simply put, the demand is there. Fair enough. Yeah, because we, you know, when we do our demand report, we don't even, we have data on three bedroom, but it's not enough right now. Well, the supply because they is don't, not enough. Well, they don't really exist, right? Well, so when you thing. go there's to do enough. your research. Exactly. There's not enough on the market to even collect data on. So it would need to be something kind of individual to what you're noticing in your own communities where it's like, oh, we did really well with that three bedroom in that community. Maybe we should be doing more of that and then doing, you know, doing some studies on your own to figure out if this is something that the market is looking for. Because, you know, a lot said was, We were noticing this shift of demand, but it wasn't necessarily a shift in or a lack of demand. It was a lack of supply for certain types of units. So then people just weren't inquiring because they were like, we want more space. We need more space. We're working from home and a one bedroom is not going to cut it. And that's all that's available in my, you know, in where I live. That's all that the market is offering me. So therefore I'm just going to stay where I am or, you know, not make any changes because there's just no supply for it. So that's really an interesting thing to note about three bedrooms, two bedrooms kind of increasing. Now, do you think that that will, as pandemic and work from home and that maybe just kind of takes it back just a little bit, do you think that will wane in demand at all? Or do you think, you know, we've now become accustomed to this way of life and that no matter what, we're going to need to make space for ourselves in our homes because remote work is really not ever going to be a thing of the past. We're always going to have that. Do you think that you can see any trends shifting on that regard? Or do you think that we're this is something that's going to be long term? I think it's something that's long term, right? You know, I think previously there was an understanding that, you know, a lot of these rental buildings were sort of, you know, a initial step in one's life, right? right? You get a studio, you're single, you grow out of the unit, you get married, you buy a home. That's that's my <laughs> you know, that's my life too, right? But that was all that was also, you know, 10 years ago when I started that. So things have changed. And when homes were more affordable, Mm -hmm. right? And Mm -hmm. so we believe that people will be settling down more and more in purpose-built rental product, right? And so they want a bigger unit. They want that space. I don't think it's a trend that's going to discontinue. I think we're going to see developers adapt and build more large-scale units because there truly is a demand for that. We have seen with some of our smaller three bedrooms that there's not a lot of interest because people want more space. Like we have tested it, right? We have taken a three bedroom unit, put it on market that's sub a thousand square feet. There's not a lot of interest in it, right? Can you believe that? People want more than a thousand square feet, right? That's just the way that, you know, the industry is heading, right? So 
we're seeing a demand for it. Can you, I don't know if you can share this at all, but is there any way for you to share maybe if there's a trend in who you've seen rent those three bedroom units that you spoke to about the Waverly, if there's kind of a, some commonality between who's renting? Yeah, no, most definitely. The Waverly specifically, taking a three bedroom, you see that a lot of students are taking advantage, right? Uh, Because it is to a certain extent, still the affordable play, right? For a roommate situation, it is the affordable play. That makes sense. Right? But -hmm. we've also seen a lot of professionals, lawyers, and even doctors take on these units, right? Because they want that space. Right. So it's those who can afford and then those who can subsidize their rent with the bigger space. They can make, you know, better decisions and save some money when they've got two other people who can live with them. And they also, and we did this kind of in our rental listing webinar, that space was so important to the future generation of renters because they want to be able to live and live individually when they're living with other people and space is conducive to that lifestyle. So that makes a lot of sense, what you're saying. Okay, now let's move down the line here and let's talk about leasing agent response time. What are the best practices? What do prospects expect in 2022 from their leasing agents and how soon they're, you know, when you've got one three bedroom apartment, you know, unit available and that's all you've got, they're desperate to get in there. What is the expectation here? Yes, that is a good question. And I know it won't come as a surprise to you to learn that renters want information yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yes. They want information immediately, immediately yes. when they're searching for an apartment. So firstly, use a proven CRM software that's specific to multifamily. This is a key element to help your team manage leads effectively. With respect to response time, if it takes your agents more than four to six hours to respond to a lead, then forget it. That lead mm-hmm. is gone. Yeah. They found another place. They've inquired on another place. They're in that mode where I'm inquiring on all, this is, I've set aside some time to find where I want to inquire and they're doing that all at once. And if you haven't gotten to them, then they've probably found another place to inquire and they'll get, if they've gotten back to them in that window, then yeah, by that time you're too late. Fully agree. And the other thing that I'll add is there's rarely that loyalty And I made that point earlier on. What is it about your marketing strategy that gives your community that competitive edge? Because most renters are exploring several apartments on their journey. And if you finally get on their shortlist, but you respond 12 hours later, again, they're gone. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's funny because this is something that I even experience with hotels now too. If I have to call a hotel to make sure that I have to secure a booking, I'm looking at 15 different hotels at the same time. So if I don't get that response, I will book. And even if it's $100 more for the night, I will book there just because I want to secure where I'm going to be staying. I mean, a hotel situation is a little bit different. It's more short short term, but you can see why it's like, 
well, if you don't want my business, I will take it elsewhere. Like it's kind of that feeling. And I had this conversation because I was just booking for a hotel for a wedding with a bunch of friends and in Newfoundland. And they took a month and then someone got so fed up with waiting for the response for this hotel room that they booked a garage above somebody's house down the street because they were like, whatever, I just need somewhere to be. Even though there was vacancy in the hotel, they just were like, I need response right away. And well, not right away. They gave them plenty of time, but you know, that it is, they will move on. They will. And they'll get fed up with you for sure. (laughs) Again, you're absolutely correct. Marketers can do all the right things and they can invest in all the right lead sources. Right. Right. There was probably a marketer behind that hotel case in Newfoundland uh, that had great ideas, right? And they found you, right? Yes, yes, yes. But if agents aren't responding, it's a bad investment. What is the purpose of calculating your cost per lead if you're not going to respond? And really, at Fitzrovia, we're incredibly fortunate to have an incredible leasing team that not only responds promptly, But they also schedule follow-ups and avoid canned responses because really, from my perspective, renters can see right through canned responses. Mm. Mm -hmm. Also, it's not abnormal to see a 50% drop-off rate in scheduled tours, which for some is a tough pill to swallow. Ultimately, you have to respond and respond quickly. Now, are you at all experimenting with the option of chatbots to get, you know, I know that this is something that we're experimenting with and I just wanted to talk about it a lot because I think that chatbots have been, I come from the customer service space. I was B2B marketing for a cloud callback software and we, and, you know, chatbots was part of that industry like 10, 10 years ago, if not more. But now it feels like multifamily is like just starting to really pick up on what chatbots can do for them. And I think that that required a little bit of chatbot learning and them not feeling confident maybe in the in the risk. But now they're saying that chatbots are doing better work than their actual agents are doing. I guess depending on who, like if they have an outsourced call center or all of those other, you know, their chatbots. So how do you feel about chatbots? And maybe in the Fitzrovia experience, do you think that fits in with you? Such a great follow-up question. And really such a hot topic in multifamily right now is the use of artificial intelligence, AI, and chatbots. And so absolutely, there is a place for chatbots at Fitzrovia. And we're currently using the chatbot that's part of the Doc CRM functionality. And we have done great with that. Prospects consistently open that chatbot window and start to engage, which is great. I would like to see more IM with the instant messaging, really, with the chatbot. So the ability to be able to quickly pivot to a live agent, right? So engaging with the chatbot, you want to pivot and talk to an actual leasing agent, being able to quickly shift to a WhatsApp type of functionality that funnels directly through to your CRM. So while I love chatbot functionality, and I think it's the future to a large degree, you can never replace the personal touch of that leasing associate. You can never load the chatbot up with every single 
question, right? Of course, of course. And so it's very similar to self-guided tours, right? Right. You go on your self-guided tour. It's all very automated. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. then there's that leasing associate at the end of the process to Mm -hmm. tie it up into a beautiful package with a beautiful ribbon, right? So, And the customer service industry knew this eight years ago, that humans would never be replaced by chatbots. They were already saying, predicting, you know, they are just to complement. They are to help alleviate and kind of aid those when you can't get to people in time, or they're just doing a general inquiry and you don't want to take a leasing agent's time up with someone who's maybe not yet invested in the process, in touring, and then you bring them in because that's really where their time and effort is worth. So I think that's probably what we'll see with the industry moving forward. And I think that people are already doing that and know that. But yes, definitely I feel that there's more to be done with what chatbots can do for this industry and making sure that it's serving you and personalizing that experience and making sure, you know, it doesn't feel like this really kind of robotic interaction. A hundred percent. I think we're going to see so much more from these chatbots and that technology in general. Like we are still at the formative stages mm-hmm. and there is so much to come in terms of that functionality. And I'm sitting on the edge of my seat, <laughs> waiting to see what other new innovations all these great companies and digital marketing companies come up with. Because again, I think there's so much that we can continue to explore with respect to that technology. And to your point, integration is obviously a huge part of that functionality and knowing that you can integrate it into your property management software and CRM and getting those leads in the right way because having it separate doesn't do you any, it doesn't save you any time at the end of the day if it's a completely siloed kind of add-on experience uh, unless it has an integration option. So, A hundred percent. We are constantly pitched different ideas from companies that have incredible functionalities and technologies to pitch, really. Right. And it's dead in the water if it doesn't integrate with your particular CRM. Yeah. Right? Totally. So it's incredibly key to what we do. Our agents are faced with Dozens and dozens of leads every day. And if you start going outside of the system, things become very ineffective and inefficient and things get missed. So to your point, integration is primal. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, now I'm trying to wind down, trying <laughs> to get get to the end of the points that I have here. I added these last minute and I do think that we can speak to these a little bit. And as marketers, we're always talking about what we are implementing, what we're going to do, where we're going to spend. But I think it's also important to know where we're not spending or we're not the places that we're not spending as much time or not doing as much with anymore. Are there any tactics that you feel you're saying goodbye to this year or rethinking your approach to them this year? Yeah, let me think about that. I think for us, it's not about what we're not going to do anymore. Mm-hmm. As I believe there is a time and place for most tactics, really it's about understanding how and when each tactic can be useful. And so I'll give you an example. Large-scale banners on your building, A-frame campaigns, 
and out-of-home advertising are all great at driving awareness for the rental opportunity. However, I'd be surprised if you told me that a significant number of your leads came directly from such tactics. Right. Right? So I think that these types of ads do build credibility over time and do support leasing velocity long term. But oftentimes, those particular tactics are about awareness rather than immediate velocity. And so, for example, if you're doing a lease up near a university campus and it's understood that a large percentage of your occupants are going to be students, then as you're creating your budget, maybe there should be some consideration for bus shelter advertising on campus. Now, of course, if you need traffic immediately and a large volume of it, as is often the case in pre-lease or lease-up, you likely need to be doing more and complementing some of these more traditional approaches with a well-thought-out digital campaign such as SEM, SEO, ILSs such as Zumper, all of those things are probably a good idea in tandem. Right. So the really the answer is time and place is everything. Maybe not every tactic is going to be the highlight of every single marketing campaign. However, depending on who you're marketing, there's going to some tactics will rise to the top and then some will kind of flow in the middle, but it's all about kind of who you have to think about who your personas are and what tactics really are going to be the key to to those. And then there's other ones that are just kind of a necessary thing that you need no matter what. And it's just about placement. No, a hundred percent. I think it's just about understanding, you know, why a particular channel is relevant, right? And so it's not a bad idea to have a billboard of your rental opportunity on the 401. But if you're looking for immediate velocity, that's not the solution. I'll ask you this, Nicolina, when's the last time you were looking for an apartment and you said, I better get in the car and head on highway 401 because I need to find an apartment. It just, Absolutely. And I'm on my way to do something probably completely unrelated to purchasing or renting an apartment. So when I see that, I'm like, cool, that looks nice. But then it's like at the back of my mind and never to return unless I maybe took that that trip again. And then the third trip and maybe the fourth trip, I'm like, oh, I should call. I should maybe inquire. Precisely. It's building that brand awareness, right? So when you do eventually make a rental decision, you might be, oh yeah, the Parker. So I just remember the Parker. And so you Google the Parker, you find the Parker on an ILS. And so those strategies, those billboard strategies, those traditional strategies, they do have a place in our industry, but you need to understand how and why they're effective. Absolutely. Before you go and, you know, put a lot of money into billboards everywhere, you do kind of have to make sure that you are being strategic in how you're placing them and why you're placing them. So to continue from that and kind of to wrap this up in a, a nice little bow, do you think that there are any tactics that haven't been as successful through this pandemic, but will once again pick up momentum over the next year? And I think that billboards are one of those. Is there anything else that you can think of that really 
you know, you've had to pivot and change to a lot of digital approaches. Is there anything that you're seeing that you're like, okay, yep, we're still going to continue those digital approaches, but we're also going to add, you know, a lot of, a lot more marketing materials, perhaps that like brochures, things like that, that maybe you didn't see a lot of use cases for through the pandemic. Well, logically during the pandemic, to your point, most operators shifted to mostly digital executions. And this included the rapid growth of virtual tours. And while I have no illusions about the dominance of digital multifamily marketing and digital marketing in general, I do believe that there will be a place for tangible executions as well, right? So we always talk about the five senses on an in-person tour Mm. and creating sensations and an immersive experience, which includes touch. And feel right. Leaving a class A community with a beautifully printed brochure, to your point, presented on premium cardstock paper with embossments hmm. leaves an impression and it ties back to the level of detail offered at that particular community. And it complements the striking tour path that that prospect just explored. Now contrast that to a community that gave you nothing or maybe a brief PDF brochure, Mm -hmm. that's a different experience. And one may and probably would draw conclusions that one community has a higher level of polish over the other. Similarly, a well-weighted pen that ties nicely to your property's branding versus a 25 cent pen that Mm. was handed to you by a leasing agent, again, is a different experience. Right, right. And prospects may make decisions based on these exchanges, whether they realize it or not. not. Yeah, it's really a, it's a subconscious effort here. And I don't know, I mean, I'm sure there's psychological studies around these things in marketing. I wish I had some evidence or data to back the pen theory, but I'm sure there are. And it's interesting because- When you think about that PDF example that you just gave as well, I've got a PDF on my computer. I'm not seeing that PDF though. I'd have to open it up and look for it in my computer to once again, view that rental property and all those things. But if I've got this beautiful brochure that's sitting on my kitchen counter that I'm walking by every day and I'm engaging with that, again, you're seeing the brand over and over and over again. You cannot ignore it. There's that repetition there, which we know in marketing works. So just having that alone, that touch factor, and then also the the brand awareness and repetition is going to be paramount. And I do think that through the pandemic, it wasn't that the tactics didn't work. It just, the opportunities weren't there for them. So we will just now have more opportunity to actually provide those chances and those traditional means of exchange and brochures and, you know, the marketing materials that we're all used to doing in this industry. So yeah, absolutely. So Ryan, I think we've hit the nine o'clock mark. We've, we did it. It was under, you know, an hour. So it's always, as always, it's been a pleasure chatting with you. And once again, I'd love for you to share before you go, let listeners know where they can connect with you and learn all about and follow you on, on LinkedIn and see all the Fitzrovia amazing marketing tactics and, and amenities that you guys are coming out with. Yeah. So, you know, if you're interested in getting in touch, LinkedIn is always a great way to connect or feel free to email me directly at rfunt at fitzrovia.ca. 
perfect. Well, thank you again, Ryan, for taking the time to join me on this episode of Sink or Swim. I hope you have a wonderful weekend. And until next time, everyone, just keep swimming. Thanks, Nicolina. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me again. Of course, anytime. You've reached the end of another episode of Sink or Swim. Make sure to visit us at rensink.com forward slash podcast to access show notes, key takeaways, and where you can sign up to our newsletter to receive free bonus content. If you found value in the show, please also remember to rate, review, and subscribe. Don't forget to join us next week for another episode. Thanks for listening.